This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films. Joined, as always, on this journey by the legendary football writer, Paddy Barclay, author of the definitive biography of Sir Matt Busby and other Manchester United managers. Today we are going to be looking at the 1979-80 season, as you can see, moving into a new decade. So we've gone with the old grainy photographic footage there. We've moved into the colour era. I know mm. technically the colour era is, is before the, the 80s, but um, yeah. for the for the visual representation, I thought it, it, it yeah. was to finally move into colour. We it's a nice... Nice sunny day. Nice sunny day as well, Wayne. It's it's lovely. Just a, a typical Manchester day, that lovely. With pot casserole being offered um, in below Paddy's head, although Paddy is not offering the pot casserole, um, no. and that is obviously for the audio. Um, well, that that's a description for the audio. The the video um, viewers can see exactly what I'm talking yep. about. Um, the, there's a picture of the Old Trafford forecourt, and as we often do on the video podcast, we put a picture of Old Trafford through the decade, uh, pick a good one that represents the um, decade in question that we're entering, and we are indeed entering the 1980s. Um, if you're watching this video, please give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. If you are watching back as well or listening back, please do share the podcast on your different social platforms. It really helps getting the word out and um, really, really appreciated by us. Um, so, Paddy, we were talking about the 1979 Cup final last time round. Dave yeah. Sexton, magnanimous in defeat. Um, this is a strange season for United. Do you think that they're going to build on that? It looked at one point like Sexton was rocky. Like he was going to be in a very difficult situation moving in to to the summer, but the cup mm. run kind of saved him, even though United lost on the on the day. Mm. So, I guess the idea was that they would be in a position where they'd be challenging for the title. But really, there was nothing in the cup final that suggested that they would. There was nothing in the season really that suggested they're going to compete for the cup final uh, for the league until the last sort of six weeks of the season. Um, so. I mean, and as well, 
the fact is that their their sole summer signing or their, their major summer sign is is Ray Wilkins. Now Ray Wilkins comes in for a club record of seven hundred and fifty thousand or or eight hundred twenty five thousand. It was reported as both, um, and it seems like a strange one because if you're saying that United are missing something, there's probably a goal scorer, probably some creativity. It wasn't mm-hmm. someone who was going to put the foot on the ball in midfield. Obviously, United were missing that. It wasn't an obvious miss in terms of like that would be the first problem that you'd seek to rectify. Um, so maybe for that, Wilkins wasn't as appreciated as he could have been from the off. Um, what what did you make of the Ray Wilkins signing um, in, in terms of what United needed at the time? Uh, yes, well, I, I just thought that, you, you know, if you're Manchester United, you uh, you need Manchester United quality players, you need style, you need class, and uh, Ray Wilkins seems, seemed to epitomise that. Um, I mean, he'd come from Chelsea, and I, I was quite surprised when at Manchester United he became known as a sort of almost a holding midfield player, although that phrase wasn't known at the time. Uh, but uh, he, he, he always struck me in his early days at Chelsea, some of them spelt, spent in the second division, as a, a sort of box-to-box player, you know, a, a, not quite Brian Robson, but not far off. You know, he scored some smashing goals. And uh, it, it, mobility was one of his strengths, you know. Um, he was a, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe swashbuckling be taking it too far, but he was, he was, uh, he was like an exciting player, as I recall it. You know, Wilkins and uh, Teddy Maybank, the blonde centre forward. You know, you, they were known as Butch Wilkins and the Maybank Kid. You know, after <laughs> Butch Cassidy, and, and they were sort of. You know, yeah, King's Road gunslingers. You know, it wasn't the main street of Laramie. It was just a place in London. But it was, yeah, it was it was sort of part of Chelsea. And 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 so when when he came to Manchester, if we look back at him now, and we see this um, cautious, careful. I, I think this crab-like uh, image is a bit unfair, um, but. Uh, you know, lovely passer, but a careful passer, a man who took care of the ball. Um, and we're looking, I was just looking back at the uh, statistics before we went on airway, and it's quite interesting that he did, in fact, score goal. One season, he scored 11 goals in the league alone. Okay, second division, but, you know, that's one in four. You know, yeah. one, one or two strikers be happy with that. And... Um, it then went down to I think seven in 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 thirty eight the next season, but still not bad. You know, most midfield players would settle for seven or eight in a season. You know, and in the final season before United bought him, it's quite interesting. Only got three goals, so he he appears to have changed his style and become less keen on uh, more keen on providing and designing the play. Than in uh, doing everything, you know, include finishing it, finishing it off, just before he joined United. But I, I, you know, I didn't quite spot that detail at the time. Um, yes, I mean, bear in mind, United central midfield player in the season before had been McElroy Macari, I think. Yeah. Um, little bit similar, little bit, you know, both 
you know, no coincidence that both were capable of playing as strikers, second strikers, certainly. Hmm. Um, you know, do you really want that as your midfield? You want someone who will grab the play by the scruff of the neck. And that seemed to be what Ray Wilkins was willing to do. I thought it was a signing that made sense. Manchester United, you know, a club like that should be buying Manchester United players. They bought, um, it appeared to do that when they went to Leeds and paid loads of money for uh, McQueen and, uh, and George Orden a couple of years earlier. Uh, and this seemed, you know, yet more further confirmation of Manchester United as a player who would look around, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, as a, as a club who would look around the league and say, oh, yes, it'd be nice to cherry yeah. pick him. So, yeah, it seemed to make sense. Um, and uh, it enabled, uh, I, I don't know, you'll tell me, was it McElroy or Macari who partnered him? Which one of them went back up front, and I can't remember which it was. I think it might be Macari. Yeah, they switched. I know that they they sort of played. I know McElroy generally stayed in midfield, so Macari yeah. would move back. Macari was the one who went up up yeah. front and and supported Joe Jordan. So, um, you know, there you are. I mean, Macari. I think Lou Macari was usually, I think, would be most remembered as a striker, although he was certainly capable of playing midfield um, because he had a good football brain. Yeah, they, um, the, the the conversations that we've had with Sammy on this podcast before, but certainly all of the analysis that we've undertaken um, and the comments that have come in from the players around the time was that that Macari and McElroy midfield was very much, it was a Doherty making anyway, so it, it was fit for that kind of frenetic pace of yeah. football. I mean, Dog- Doggerty seemed to think your holding player should be a, one of your centre-backs stepping out. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was that was the dog. You know, three at the back, heavens, that's enough. And two of the full-backs had to be attackers. Yeah. So uh, um, that seemed to be the, you know, why waste a player on a holding, you know, a, a defensive, why, uh, uh, waste a shirt on a defensive midfield player. Dave's uh, view was sort of more rounded and, um, and less adventurous. I, and it's it's probably a fair comment though with Wilkins. Wilkins in particular is a really good example of this because the idea is that um, everything Sexton did was pragmatic in comparison to Doherty. But really, like you said, Wilkins isn't a pragmatic signing. He's just pragmatic at the side of playing two attackers in midfield. Mm. And that, if you call it pragmatism, although there will be two notable examples we'll come on to later in the season, um, mm. it did work. It paid off because United were a lot more solid. They had 11 clean sheets in the league before Christmas, but it was on the road, really, where they had a few problems. They lost by two goals at Wolves, West Brom, City and Liverpool, and all comfortable defeats as well. They looked like, you know, like a one of those heavyweight boxing matches where you're not going to see a knockdown, but the, the mm-hmm. favourite is just going to keep the challenger at arm's length and do that for 12 rounds. That's basically what United were like in these big games. So it undermined their hopes of progress. They had early cup eliminations as well. So by the turn of the year again, it's not again saying, oh, Sexton's on the brink, but it is kind of the case of how far is he able to take them? Is this the best that they're going to look under him? It wasn't ever a case of them looking better. They just looked a little bit more solid than they had in the previous season where he tried to be pragmatic and it just hadn't worked with the players at his disposal. Wilkins, I guess, had added that solidity in midfield. The defenders, that you know, like the, I said the defenders, McQueen, Jordan with his physicality, mm. Thomas on the wing, 
they are added now a little bit more consistency to the play. And mm-hmm. really, although you know United weren't um, you know looking fantastic, they were steadily sort of in the right area of the table um, and showing little signs of progress, just not enough to make it look like it was convincing to make such a bold change from Doherty to Sexton because that was the, the barometer, wasn't it? It was always constantly being um, compared to what came before. Correct. United were never adventurous in the way that they had been under Docker. Mm, yes. Well, that, that's that's definitely true. Um, on the other hand, you know, we were moaning in the last episode that the defensive record was so poor, and I, I checked it before we, um, and you were right, you know, that United conceded 63 goals in the league in 1978-9. 63. Um now in the season we're talking about 35 yeah. so you know he's he must have been doing something right um in that the structure of the team was not so porous uh as as it had been the year before yeah and 35 would have been 29 and it would have been the best defense in the league if not for one trip to Portman Road <laughs> um, United already eliminated in the cup competitions and then they go to Portman Road not only do they lose 6-0, 6-0, that's not um, an aberration there. Well, it was from Manchester United's part, unfortunately, <laughs> not mine. Uh, Manchester United lose 6-0 at Ipswich Town. Gary Bailey saves three penalties. One of them is a twice-taken penalty. And that is the result, really, that sort of turns the tide a little bit and it puts the spotlight on Sexton because it, it sort of, while United are plodding along and moving in a generally good direction, Defeat that harsh is quite scary. And um, what what was the reaction to it at the time? Because if United lose six nil today, obviously yeah. um, the crest is cracked on the back of a newspaper. Yeah, and there are insights, and um, and you know the inquests go on for yeah. weeks. So well, United, like yeah, United had a bad spell uh, in that. What what would it be early early in the second half of the season? So maybe March would that be? First the, of March was the the first, right, yeah. First of March. Well, around that time, United went three games without scoring. It was a it was a it was a really poor spell, and uh, yeah, that that result certainly rocked confidence because. You know, as you say, they'd been solid. They'd been picking up results. They had a good start to the season from what I can recall, about seven or eight games without defeat at the start of the season and and only two goals conceded, which was a marker to, you know, towards what would happen. And then suddenly six goals at at Ipswich. And I know Ipswich were a good team, but... um, in fact, I think they won the Europe, the UEFA Cup, was it, around that time? Yeah, it was the Bobby Robson side, wasn't it? Bobby Robson. Yeah. So, I mean, they were a magnificent team on their day, but uh, Manchester United, you know, no team should be losing 6 0 um, and being lucky to get away with 6 0. So, <laughs> there was clearly something, uh, something amiss. Yeah, well, and we'll talk about the football in a moment, but the club did have other matters to concern themselves with, and maybe, yes. maybe it was representative of the dark mood at the club, well, uh, that kind of yeah. thing anyway. So, um, well, that, yeah, yes. you, you that, was, it, that yeah. was it, it was in the boardroom where 
um, Louis Edwards, the long-serving chairman and friend of Matt Busby, um, died unexpectedly in, I think he was in his bath and he had a heart attack. He was at that time being pursued by, uh, oh, by a documentary crew from Granada yeah. over various things which did impinge on the club. Um, you know, financial sort of irregularities alleged. And um, at any way, he must have felt under a lot of pressure and whether that contributed to his uh, his death is, is not known. But uh, there can be no doubting, um, uh, you know, there were, there were, he had his critics like most club chairmen, but there could be no doubting his love for Manchester United for a start, which went back to the, well, way to the um, formative years of, of, of Busby. Um, but uh, it, it, of the Busby babes, but uh, not, not just as that, but his efficacy as chairman, you know, the modernization of the ground and so on. Um, so uh, yes, the, there's no doubt that he deserved a, a, a place in, in the Manchester United's history. Um, uh, a place, since we're talking about history, that was filled by his son Martin, who um, was was also to to serve uh, with 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 some distinction um, after taking over uh, from Louis. Uh, that but Martin was already on the board. Uh, yeah. Martin too, uh, despite his detractors, those who characterised him as a middle class public schoolboy with uh, um, who preferred hockey and rugby to football. Actually, he was as crazy a Manchester United fan as you were, and I'm telling you, and, and thousands of others. He, uh, you, you'll know, you'll know enough from your dealings with him and your various books over the about the club over the years to know that this is not a bloke that you take on in a quiz about Manchester United without mm -hmm. uh, without fear of getting a beating. So he he uh, he yes, a, a, a mad keen Manchester United fan, and so Martin. Um, takes over from his father. He was installed around the time, uh, just I think just after the Ipswich match um, as as chairman, March twenty second. Um, uh, he was installed just three weeks after the Ipswich game. Yep. Although and I don't think I don't think he'd take credit for the upturn in fortunes that was the father. No, but he would have certainly celebrated the day because it was um, a one-nil win over Manchester City that marked the, um, I guess, coronation ascension to um, power of Martin Edwards. Yeah, you're definitely right about Martin. Um, no owner, unless they're, um, you know, ridiculously benevolent to the, um, I guess, to the reckless abandon of the tune of football supporters. They have to pull the purse strings at some point. And mm -hmm. when he did that, obviously it was un unpopular, but you know, nobody can say he didn't invest and, and build the club and, and have a vision for the future, which, you know, as we'll come to in the series, others questioned as well, but um, he certainly put, he put his money where his mouth was, you know, he, um, he was rewarded for that as well. Um, he's a businessman. Yeah. Let's not pull any punches with that, but um, he did have a love for United. I always, I have spent quite a lot of time with Martin, um, as you have, 
and um, many conversations with him. I, he's the best way that I can sum up his knowledge on United is he'll sort of tease you with something. If he's telling you a story, mm-hmm. he'll lead you into something and not necessarily tell you something incorrect, but it's kind of leaving the, the gateway open to make you can make an assumption. And he, he's testing you to see if you make the wrong assumption. He's yeah. testing you. Have you done your research? Do you know what you're talking about? And if yeah. you, you can, he's a bit of a cat and mouse game. Um, thankfully, I didn't fall for it because I knew I knew what he was talking about. And I think yeah. he appreciated my knowledge on, on the matter. I can't remember exactly what I'm talking about. They, they, they can be trivial things like a game that was played, a scoreline, uh, an event that happened in a game. He'll do something like that. And he knows full well what he's talking about. He's just luring you in to see if you know what you're talking about as well. And I appreciate that kind of um, knowledge, by the way. That kind of using your knowledge, I do do appreciate that. So nobody can question um, that Martin wasn't a responsible owner for Manchester United because he most certainly was. um, And he was the right, I think, considering the difficult decisions that we've talked about with the club ownership in this series, I think in this Mm -hmm. situation, I think it was the right I think history proved it to be the right course and uh, that he was the right man to come in. Um, so, yeah, so United were on the ropes. The He wouldn't take credit for his arrival being um, something of a catalyst for a change of fortune. But it, it was strange um, the, the way that the season did sort of reignite itself into life because United, in early April, Liverpool come to Old Trafford. Mm. They only really need a win to uh, not mathematically secure the title but all but make it um, official they mm-hmm. they would only need one win after that and they there's like six games left united on the other hand would need to win every single game and beat liverpool what turns out to be um a, a sort of indian summer for jimmy greenoff um I, I don't even know if you call it that because it's just one last hurrah basically in a Manchester United shirt. He's recalled into the side because Sammy McElroy is suspended. Mm-hmm. And he and Mickey Thomas both score, as um, Greenough did, as they combined in the 79 semi-final. Now um, they combine to both get on the score sheet against Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, win 2-1 in Paddy, a, a really eventful game at Old Trafford. Oh, it was terrific. It, it was just as, um, you know, just as well, one of the one of the biggest, if not the biggest crowd of the season. 60,000-ish were there to see it because uh, it was a terrific game. And I, I remember you mentioned that Liverpool went there thinking this is where we can basically plant the flag at the top of, of the league, you know, and lay claim to it. Um, and they took the lead um, when uh, Gordon McLean slipped. Um, Dalglish ran on to score. So United had to had to come from behind, and uh, and as they did with, with uh, as you say, Mickey Thomas scrambling, one past Ray Clements, and then uh, Joe Jordan got got a header that wouldn't have gone in, uh, but for uh, a, a, a cute little intervention by Greenoff, who sort of backheaded it uh, between two defenders on the line into the net. So they're in front of the Stretford end, I think, and and so you know, great great joy you know that uh united still didn't look as if they could take the lead in the league instead but how nice um to wipe that premature smile off liverpool's face yeah um a game notable we were talking about pragmatism earlier and how it 
went to the wayside at Portman Road. You would not expect, uh, possibly, I mean, everyone will remember Greenough and Thomas scoring against Liverpool, particularly Thomas, because it was great for him to score in that game um, after the criticism and the sort of pressure he'd been under. But the game I always remember it most for, um, I remember the game most for um, this ridiculous, um, this passage of play, which is the worst... um, now, if you're a student of football and you like total football, you will have studied the origins of total football and you would have watched the 1974 World Cup and you would have watched the Holland team hunting impacts mm-hmm. and you would have looked at that and you would have said, this is not total football, somebody's having me on. And then you would have watched it over the years evolve and become the sophisticated thing that it is today. Mm-hmm. When you watch um, what passes for Dave Sexton's offside trap in this mm-hmm. game, you would think it is not. You would take it back under the trades description because <laughs> I, I I don't really know how to describe it. Um, but you watched it before, um, Paddy. Mm. So recount. Take yeah, well, basically, basically, what happens is that Hansen brings the ball out of defence. Now, I I was a great admirer of Alan Hansen. I thought he could. I know he was a great player, but I thought he could have been. You know, I thought he could have been Beckenbauer. Because he had this amazing ability on the ball, uh, but rather like R- Rio Ferdinand in later years, he seemed to be programmed not to go that final, you know, not not to keep going yeah. uh, as one or two of the liberos of, uh, you know, in Denmark and and, and even Italy were, were allowed to do. And but anyway, on this occasion, Hansen comes forward. And United rush forward to the halfway line to say, okay, you can stop and pass now, but you're not going to pass to anybody because we're going to be on the halfway line. So anybody who goes beyond who's beyond us when the ball is kicked is going to be offside. The trouble is that the Liverpool players rush back too. And it's almost as if they programmed this, you know. That they knew this was going to happen because Hansen, uh, it's a it's a muddy pitch. Hansen flicks it up, takes uh, flicks it up, uh, volleys it through, and chases his own pass, and he's and he's through. He's right through on goal, and uh, just uh, as he's as he's advancing on Gary Bailey, there's only two things he can do, and they're both easy. One, slip it past Gary Bailey uh, into the net. Or two, knock it sideways to Kenny Dalglish, who will then tap it into an empty net. Either were easy. He did it just a wee bit too late, and Dalglish is offside, but he still misses. It's a <laughs> terrible miss. He's so, you know, commentators often say, oh, yeah, so glad to see that offside flag. Well, on this occasion, the offside flag was no hiding place. It was yeah. probably the worst miss of Kenny Dalglish's career and the fact that he wouldn't have been awarded the goal anyway doesn't have uh, anything to do with it. But it was a, a, a crack, terrific passage of football. You were sort of implying that it was sort of playground stuff. I think it was a bit more than that. I think it, I think that both teams were actually thinking about it. And uh, But, yeah, it looked, it looked like uh, the playground rather than the tra- training field, I, I, I admit it. But I thought it was great. Great to, oh, great, to re, great to revisit. So I'm glad you 
I'm glad you mentioned it and brought it up on the show. I'm glad that um, we were talking about it. The when you look at it back, yeah, I think it's a terrific piece of play from Liverpool, first and foremost, because to to open it up like that, sort of anticipate that that kind of thing's going to happen. That suggests that United have done that um, one to once too often in the past, and they've got away with it every single time, mm. or maybe not even being challenged in this kind of way. So Anderson's obviously been very inventive to do that. But you, how often do you see at this level, at that level, that? Um, that kind of space and time is afforded to a team and they always screw it up. You mm. never see a team open up a, another team like that. They take advantage of a flaw and then it all goes swimmingly. It all goes according to plan. <laughs> There's always something that goes on. It's um, true. What, what, what's the phrase? Yeah, that maybe that chance was just a little too easy. Yeah. 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 That's um it was yeah, it's definitely one of those where a cliche could have been born or at least yeah. um yeah, um, cemented. Yeah, but it, it was a strange period because at least United win the game, and and then from that moment for sort of four or five weeks, it looks like Sexton's team are back in with a chance of winning the title because Liverpool drop a few more points um, in draws, and the funniest thing for me is throughout this run, you've got a win at Bolton, McQueen and Thomas scoring it, you've got a win at home to Spurs, Wilkins scores, and Andy Ritchie gets his um, his next hat trick. Mm. Joe Jordan scores twice at Norwich. Joe Jordan scores twice at home to Aston Villa. These are major kind of vindications for Dave Sexton at this moment in time. All of his mm. players are playing this mm. um, key in, and crucial role in the resurrection of United's um, closest, what, what it transpires, it's United's closest um, title push since they last won it in 1967. Mm-hmm. Um, the penultimate game, Sammy McElroy scores twice against Coventry. We talked about, I remember talking to him about it. He was kind of, I'm not dismissive of it, but you know, hesitant to sort of commit and say, Oh, he's the biggest league game of my career at that point, you know, because I was asking, you know, it's the closest that he came to a title in effect mm-hmm. playing for Manchester United. What was the pressure like? And I think it was more to do with the fact that Liverpool always had this game in hand that would be played after the final game after yeah. United had already wrapped up their league calendar. So they had to really depend on results going their way. Um, and it really depended effectively on United getting a result at Leeds on mm-hmm. the last day, hoping that Liverpool slipped up and then they would slip up in their final game as well. That didn't work out because Liverpool not only didn't slip up, United did and they lost 2-0 to Leeds, who, um, by the way, had signed Brian Green off earlier in the season for a club record. Uh, fee the free United sale at three hundred and fifty thousand, I think it was something like. Picture the scene: all of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, eighteen plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. 
let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Like that. Um, so United finished second. It is theoretically the closest the club have come to winning the league since 1968 um, when they went on the last day to Man City. But even though, Paddy, they finished second and this is on the back of a cup final and it, it's a lot more Dave Sexton this season because you can see the impact and the influence of all of the players. You can see yeah. overall, you can see a definitely more prudent defensive system. It still doesn't feel like United are progressing, does it? Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, they fin- Yes, they finished above... Uh, you know, good teams at the time, Nottingham Forest, they probably finished above everybody except Liverpool. Um, but the gap was closer. Well, the final margin, I think, was two old points, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, which suggests that ooh, just a little, a marginal gain, you know, and they'll be all right next season. But uh, they did seem far away. And, and the fact that you recall that season as being one of respectability rather than threat um you know is 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 quite telling um there was just a missing ingredient and i think probably if you look at if you look at uh if you're looking for reasons steve Coppel's still there mickey thomas is still there mcelroy and wilkins are in midfield and you know the back four is is full of creativity with uh, you know Mc, Mc, McQueen Buchan or class with McQueen and Buchan in the middle Jimmy Nichol who's a good attacking player and uh, Alberston did Ashley Grimes play left back sometimes I don't know yeah, he played a few games at left back yeah yeah because you mentioned him in the last episode and I think he figured probably more than most fringe players yeah um, uh, you know so. Yeah, you 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 would have thought. So you kind of look up front now. Joe Jordan's a leading goal scorer yeah. um, with sort of one in three, something like that. Uh, you know, a good ratio for a, a striker who was never selfish in 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 looking out for himself, but always seeking to bring others into play. He did well, but he wasn't Ruud van Nistelrooy, was he? He wasn't um, Dennis Law. He wasn't. He wasn't that absolute guarantee of goals um that uh that some you know some of the great manchester united center forwards have be, uh, wayne rooney you know you can call us the best you know you can go on about the ones who yeah you just know they're going to score if they don't score one week they'll score the next joe wasn't quite that so although he had other attributes so perhaps that was an area that needed uh needed attention yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, United, without that Ipswich game, like I said, they would have been um, the strongest defence in the league um, with 29 over 30 from Liverpool. But it is the attack because uh, Liverpool score 81, United get 65. But 65 isn't terrible over 42 games, no. but it's just that the numbers aren't really there from the it's attack. What, it's, like, it's what runners-up get, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair but, yeah. As we come to the squad statistics, actually, you'll see a really remarkable return from the midfield. It's a really strong return from the midfield, which makes mm. this probably makes that season a lot more competitive than what um, it otherwise would have done. Um, we'll get on to those squad statistics now then. I'll first of all, I'll put up Nikola Ivanovic, but I'm going to go through the other defenders 
um, and the goalkeeper first. Gary Bailey's um, the ever-present for this season. Well, there are a couple of ever-presents, but Gary Bailey plays every single game, 47 in all competitions, obviously 42 in the league. Arthur Albiston, as you mentioned earlier, um, Paddy, Ashley mm. Grant does play some games at left-back, so Arthur Albiston makes 28 appearances this season, 25 in the league. Mm. Martin Buchan, ever-present, 42 appearances in the league and obviously every other game as well. Stuart Houston, obviously still suffering with the long-term repercussions of the leg break that kept him out of the 77 Cup final, um, 17 appearances, 14 in the league. Mm -hmm. That brings us on to Nikola Jovanovic, um, who's on the screen now. Signed for £300,000, which is a sizable amount, in January from Red Star. He made only a couple of appearances this season, um, one one start and one substitute appearance. The really chronic back issues would put paid to his career. But Paddy, I mean, £300,000, mm. Nikola Jovanovic, Red Star Bel Belgrade. It was United's first foray into the foreign market. I know we've debated over the mm. other, you know, like Carlos Sartori, Ed McIlvenny. We've talked about different players yeah. <laughs> way back over the time and sort of said this might be United's first foreign player um, technical, uh, on the technicality. But Nikola Ivanovic is wide, widely sort of seen as that player because he was the first foreign signing. Um, what were the expectations? Because £300,000, like we said earlier, it's a lot of money. Well, yes, it was, but it, it, I mean, he came with a hell of a reputation. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't come with a medical certificate, but he, he did have a fantastic reputation. He was a big lad, um, so he would uh, you wouldn't think he'd be troubled by, uh, you know, by the physical side of the English game. Uh, he was a, a very good technician, but. Uh, because of his back issues, um, he couldn't uh, he couldn't run, and uh, it turned out to be a, a disastrous signing. I I'm not sure quite what the intention was with uh, in 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 buying him, because uh, I mean Gordon McQueen had just been bought for a huge fee um, a couple of years earlier. Martin Buchan was still only thirty one. Yeah, you know, and uh, maybe he felt, you know, that Martin wasn't going to last forever, um, and that that was why Jovanovic came. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I mean, he might even have been thinking that Jovanovic could play left back. Um, I, I I don't know, but we never found out because uh, Jovanovic was never never fit enough yeah. to. Uh, to show us this potential. He, he, as I said, he'd come with a very, very good uh, pedigree. He'd been in the Red Star, you know, a very, very good, uh, um, you know, career with, with Red Star Belgrade. Um, uh, you know, he was one of the top men in, of, of the former Yugoslavia. Yeah. Um, but uh, after Manchester United, you know, that was that was it. Um, he was, uh, he, he went on loan to some small club in, in uh, Tito Grad. Yep. And that was it. Um, he, he was finished by, uh, you know, in his early thirties. So yeah, we'll never know. It's almost as if he never, 
never really existed for Manchester United. Right. It is a strange one, considering. Well, a strange one. It's a it's a sad one because of the fact that they came from Red Star and the United's. Um, you know that they made the first foreign signing from there. Yes, um, I would have liked it to have. Obviously, for sentimental reasons, it would have yes, been. Yes, because of Munich. Because yeah. of Munich. Yes. Um, the other defenders, Kevin Moran makes nine appearances in the league, scores a single goal. Jimmy Nickel makes every single appearance, 47 in all competitions, 42 in the league. Steve Patterson with one substitute appearance in the league, two appearances in all competitions. He said Gordon McQueen earlier, a tremendous season for McQueen. Nine goals in 37 games, nine in 33 in the league, which is like <laughs> pretty close to Joe, Jordan. Joe Jordan's goal-scoring record. Um, not bad. Like I said, a, a midfielder would be happy. And several of Manchester United midfielders were actually happy with their goal-scoring return. And we'll start with Ray Wilkins, who got two in 42. So it was a low goal-scoring season for him, two in 37 in the league. Um, we've already mentioned, we've already talked, wax lyrical about his qualities. He was a midfield playmaker before that term became fashionable. And he said, prob probably, possibly, watermarked as a, um, a water carrier, a holding midfielder, and he wasn't really that kind of player. Um, he, but he was a player who was responsible on the ball. He'd been Chelsea captain at 18. He was a bit of a pin-up player, a little bit like Jovanovic as well. They were dashing-looking lads. Um, Well-loved in football as well, Ray Wilkins, an absolutely marvellous footballer and a bit of calm to bring in um, a Mr Chaos, a very Dave Sexton signing for the middle of the park. And um, ironically enough, he, he, he would flourish over the next couple of seasons. He, you mentioned the crab remark earlier. That was very unfairly given to him by Ron Atkinson. Ron Atkinson yeah. was actually quite happy for Ray Wilkins to play in his midfield and be a crab because he um, provided some of the nicer cup final moments, if I remember quite rightly. And I do remember. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> um, Ray Wilkins, yeah, fantastic player and, um, yeah, a good start to his United career. Steve Koppel, you mentioned his everlasting consistency. In fact, he was in the middle of a record-breaking um, consistent run of appearances, 42 appearances in all, in the league in eight goals, nine in 46 in all competitions. Ashley Grimes, moonlighting in different positions, notably down the left, um, three goals in 27 appearances, three in 26 in the league. Three, the six of those were substitute appearances. Lou Macari, he has moved back up front, so 9 in 44, 9 in 39 in, in the league. But yeah, some of those as a striker, some of those in midfield. Chris McGrath, one single substitute appearance. Sammy Mack, a decent return of eight goals in 45, six in 41 in the league. Tom Sloan, five league appearances, four of those substitute appearances, and those were his appearances for the season. Mickey Thomas, 10 goals in 40 games. A really good return, actually. Well, if, if, if we're not comparing him to the abnormally high return of Gordon Hill from the wing, 10 in 40 from out wide is a really strong return. 8 in 35 in the league. And that brings us to the forwards. Jimmy Greenoff, like we said, I say in Indian summer, it was that single game where he scored against Liverpool. That was his single goal of the season in five games. Um, one of those was a substitute appearance. All of those in the league. Joe Jordan, as Paddy mentioned earlier, 13 goals in 36 games, 13 in 32 in the league. 
And that brings us finally to Andy Ritchie. I didn't have the um, screen grab for him last time, so I'm now giving him his moment in the sun. There, um, three goals. A, another fine head of hair. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly envious, Paddy, um, on our yeah. follow challenge side of the podcast. But, um, but Andy, Andy was to was to uh, was to acquire our haircut, Wayne. Yeah, he was. He was, and. Yeah, I'll remind him of that next time I see him. I'm sure he'll be happy to hear that. Um, yeah, Manchester born lad. He had started in the reserves. He'd scored a hat-trick for England schoolboys before he broke into the United side with that hat-trick against Leeds last season. So just three goals this season. And ironically enough, it's a hat-trick again against Spurs. That's three goals in 11 games, three in eight in the league. The tactics for this season is a 4-4-2. Um, Gary Bailey in goal. I had Stenny in my notes. I don't know why he's long gone. Jimmy Nicholl, ever-present at right-back. Buchan and McQueen at centre-back. Albiston, really the, the, the number one choice at left-back, even though Grimes did play there on occasion. And you've got Coppel, Wilkins, McCarry, Thomas in midfield. Oh, sorry, McElroy and Thomas and McCarry and Jordan up front. United's colours this season were red. And white. They did away with the um, black kit, but the red and white kit from the mid 70s have sort of stayed there. Um, kit colours throughout, the, but the blue kit that was there for the last couple of seasons has gone. The United review is the same as last time. I believe it is anyway. I'll double check that. And if it's wrong, I'll get the, um, <laughs> the both of next season's United reviews up for the next season. The average attendance padded up 51,000. Five five seven. Is there a reason for why? I mean, obviously, it's a surprise to see it go up by five thousand on average this season. Yeah. Um, is is there a reason? We know why it's progressively going down. Is yeah. there an explanation for the jump going back up? Uh, no. The only thing I can think I've been trying to work this out, and the only thing I can think of is that after the previous season, which was such a a disappointment, or a, you know, although it could have been rescued by the if they'd helped manage to hold on to the cup, managed to do hold on to the stop Arsenal from stealing the cup, uh, then. Uh, but it, by and large, partly because of that, it wasn't. It was a disappointment, and there was genuine signs of progress. I mean, the fact that you're able to reel off the team four four two, you know, apart from uh, you know Alberston and Grimes. You know, pretty well everybody was up there in the uh, maybe not the forty-two like uh, like Jimmy Nichol and and one or two others, uh, Gary Bailey maybe, but they um, pretty well all of them were ever present. It was as settled a team as you could imagine. Uh, that in 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 itself, in itself suggests that things weren't so bad as the odd aberration such as Ipswich uh, would suggest. That's the only thing. And the fact that they they were in contention, um, I think I think that's that's really what after the years and years and years of for one reason and another recurrent wilderness. I think that the Old Trafford crowd felt you know we might just be getting somewhere this time. Yeah, there was a transfer rumor over the summer that um, that Dave Sexton was very keen on signing Liam Brady. So add to the midfield um, to partner him with Ray Wilkins. So I guess that would have been at the expense of Sammy McElroy, although Sammy um, insisted that he knew nothing about that. That it was a speculation throughout the summer until Liam Brady moved um, 
elsewhere. But elsewhere yeah. in football. Um, you went to Juventus. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, that's where he ended up. And I, a lot of players were making that move at the time because the wages that were on offer in Italy were astronomical compared to yeah. what they were in England. And players could make um, considerable, well, they could make retirement funds within weeks of being there. Yeah. As opposed to the salaries, especially um, the United, uh, there was a story later on in the decade about Norman Whiteside. United, I, I guess, one thing that we don't really talk about on this podcast is that United were notorious underpayers for their young players. You know, the young players had criminally low salaries. They bring in a player from elsewhere in the league, and they'd be paid a, a comparative salary. They'd look yeah. Like yeah. decently paid, but the, the younger players, it was kind of like. You've got the privilege of being part of lineage, <laughs> and that's that's the price that you pay for it. Um, yep. It seems a bit strange, but later on in the decade, Norman Whiteside would sort of take the club to task on that and almost not hold them to ransom, but kind of like call their bluff with it because AC Milan had put a, a fair amount of money on the line for him. But um, even even that didn't really stop United's policy because it went well into the late nineties until I think it was David Beckham's sort of brand explosion that, that transformed how United addressed dealing with the younger players, um, the homegrown players, because um, as far as I can remember, it was a matter that um, was never really completely resolved. And it's probably, to some extent, um, still in place today that the club not take advantage of it. I, I think that's the wrong way to say, but certainly um, sort of lean on that privilege. Yes, a, I suppose it, it's not totally unique to united that um but i suppose i don't i don't, I don't know if that's what mr lingard uh, would say but uh, we can't put words in his mouth but i suppose yes that there's 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 always a temptation because let's face it if you get players from elsewhere you have to pay especially if there's somebody else that wants them and if if they're at the level that manchester united aspires to then uh, somebody else probably will want them. So, yeah. Um, but but it became, I think I think really you, the class of ninety two, it became really obvious that those were the most, especially after Eric Cantona left, that those the the, the Beckham's, Scholes, um, Giggs, uh, the Nevilles, um, Nicky Butt were the most important players at the club after after Cantona had gone. Yeah. And, and therefore, you know, they they had to be looked after uh, as well as the the imports. Yeah, um, long way off on this series, though, that's for sure. And let's talk about European success for other teams. Good grief. This is a, it's a really, in terms of English football, this is yeah. a great season. In terms of Manchester United, maybe not. Um, Liverpool winning the league title, obviously, because they're ahead of United. West Ham with Stuart Pearson in the ranks, winning the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. Pearson left for United, uh, left for West Bro- uh, West Ham earlier in the season. Was that against Fulham? Yeah, that was a. Is it Trevor Brooking, the the famous cup final? Uh, oh, against Ipswich. Against Ipswich. I'll just double check that for the listeners. Anyway, nineteen eighty FA Cup final is West Ham Arsenal at Wembley. Um, and oh, West Ham Arsenal, Trevor Brookings bullet header from yeah. two yards. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, Stuart Pearson in the team, uh, having won the cup a couple of years earlier with United, 
League Cup is won by Wolves. And if I'm not wrong, that's Wolves and West Ham's last trophies today as well, or serious trophies at least. Nottingham Forest win the European Cup. Um, Paddy, we'll, we'll just come back to that in a second. Arsenal get to the European Cup Winners' Cup after defeating United in the FA Cup, but they lose the final on penalties. Um, Derby are relegated just five years after winning the league. But we are a history podcast, a football history podcast as well. We've talked about Forest being in the second division with United. We've talked about them going, oh, oh if only you know that had been us in that position. United feeling a little bit disgruntled, you know, that they could have been in that position. Tell it. I, I know that it's a well-trodden story. Everyone um, knows, probably everyone listening to this knows of the Nottingham Forest Brian Clough journey. Tell us just a little bit before we close out on how special that was and uh, why it was so special. What at, at Brian Clough? Yeah, at Forest. Oh yeah. I mean, well, he'd already done it at Derby County. Um, I think he and Peter Taylor, I mean, when they, a lot of people, you know, use the word genius in management and they've obviously, you know, the questions being asked about Alex Ferguson, is he a genius? Uh, well, I, I, I used to say, no, he wasn't a genius compared with Busby, but I think, you know, the more you look at that longevity and the fact that he saw off you know, all the money, the batterings from the money of Chelsea saw that off, saw off uh, the, you know, initial assault of Manchester City. Welcome to Manchester, you know. And and he, I think, yes, he, he was a genius, uh, a genius of longevity and resilience. Uh, Busby was a genius because of his creation. But Busby, in the case of Busby, you have to say, and I'm sure you won't argue with me on that, that Busby without Murphy, would he have been a genius without Jimmy Murphy? You just That's don't know. And, and, and I, the, the reason I'm going through that preamble is that Clough's genius was in tandem with Peter Taylor. Yeah. When Clough was with Peter Taylor, that undoubtedly added up to genius because the success that Alex Ferguson eventually uh, achieved after coming down from Aberdeen to Manchester United was a, was took much longer than Clough's success at Derby and at Nottingham Forest. So there was sort of a little more of an element of magic uh, about, about Clough and Taylor. So, yeah, I mean, to do it twice with... Uh, a, a, a substantial but not, you know, huge club uh, is is just further evidence of genius. And uh, I mean, if you can sort of imagine, I'm just trying to think of of, of, of the magnitude. Suppose um, uh, that, that, that West Bromwich were to come up into the Premier League in two years' time. And then to win the Premier League in their first season, and then to win two European Cups, you think, well, whoever's in charge of them, you know, is just phenomenal. Um, yeah. People say it couldn't happen these days, but Clough made it happen in those days, and uh, it was still absolutely remarkable. I remember after the first uh, European Cup win, uh, which was against Malmo. Uh, uh, they 
the semi-final was against Cologne and they won the second leg 1-0 after drawing 3-all at the city ground. And they came back, I think they played Ipswich the following Saturday at the city ground and the crowd was 15,000. You know, well, I mean, uh, it wasn't entirely unprecedented. Ajax, who were in their small stadium at that time, yeah. you know, probably didn't get that much more when they were winning winning it three times in a row. But it 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 still was an incredible achievement. And you know, to to go head to head with Liverpool as 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 Forrest did for for several years um, was just. Uh, was just incredible and it was all done really with very selective buying I mean a lot of the players were free transfers or you know odds and sods you know but they were odds and sods who fitted into the pattern yeah um, so would you like to have seen him go to Manchester United at any stage uh, Wayne it would have been interesting because of the character. But every time you have that conversation, especially with Martin Edwards, they've always like immediately said that it was never on the table. The, the conversation. I think it, it's one of those things um, where you just, as a football fan, you admire the story of it. You know, you don't have to attach it to your own team all the time. You don't have to, you know, look at everything in, in the context of, of your own side. But yeah. So. I think it's sometimes there's a there's a feeling that you know that that a, a really big club doesn't need a person of 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 that brashness. I mean Manchester United there were two reasons I think that Manchester United fought shy of Mourinho for a few years before they got him. One was the style of play which was perceived as too pragmatic, too Dave Sexton like if you want to bring it up to date with the program. Um uh, and and two was the feeling that he would put himself above Manchester United, um, as indeed seemed to happen on that day. Do you remember when you you won the game, at, you won the final at Wembley, and he looked as if uh, had yeah. a face like the proverbial smack backside, you know? So um, it was. At, and it was the same with Clough, you know. But Matt Busby didn't like Clough very very much. And it was the brashness he didn't like. You, you know, it, it, in Matt's day, uh, and, and Matt's very much the father of the modern Manchester United, in Matt's day, brashness was not the virtue it's seen as today. Yeah. It was seen as a fault, as a flaw. And whereas now, you know, if, unless a manager is punching the air every 10 minutes and putting on a attitudinous expression you know like the people love love this Antonio Conte you know I mean I don't know what Matt would have thought of his antics um but uh you know but yeah Matt Matt didn't like him and Matt was still influential in 79-80 I mean Matt was I think Ray Wilkins once told me that uh during a time when he wasn't, when things weren't going well for him at, at Manchester United, he was sitting in the canteen with his head in his hands almost. And he felt this hand on his shoulder and this Scottish brogue saying, son, you're a good player, don't forget that. And it was, it lifted him. He, he said he, his form came back from then. That was all he said, son, you're a good player. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think 
there was a general feeling that that Clough, I mean, that Clough just wouldn't fit in with the Manchester United way, in which the manager is the servant of the club. Even Ferguson, who had a huge ego, and Matt, who had a huge, who had an ego, um, not that you would have known it, but they all always behaved as if it was club first. Even when Ferguson was ranting at referees, you never thought he was ranting at referees because he was worried about his bonus. He was wor- he, he, he was battling for Man United. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there was a feeling that maybe with some of those other people that you know that that Manchester United wouldn't come first. But, so I suppose that was that that's a long-winded way of, of saying what he never. Yeah, why it never got anywhere close to happening. Well, one thing is for sure, they would have been wanting to take inspiration from Forest moving into the next season. You know, their boldness, their ambition, and their daringness to dream. Um, and we'll see if United do that in their next sex, uh, next Sexton season, next season under Dave Sexton, um, which will be his fourth in charge of the club. Hopefully, this time he'll get it right. That's it for this time, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. If you're watching back on YouTube, give us a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to give us a review on the platform you're listening on. We will be back to discuss that 1980-81 season. Until then. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.